0: Well, good morning, guys. I've missed y'all. It has been entirely too long since I've gotten to do this with you guys. Uh, it was... What's that? No pressure. Yeah. It was busy with, uh, with cantata and us getting used to doing foster care work, and I feel like finally we've hit a little bit of a stride to where I can dedicate some time to this, and so I'm excited. And uh, when Peter said that we were going to be doing the Jesus I Am statements... Um, the very first thing I said was, I want bread. It's the first thing I said. I want bread. Um, and if you know me and you know that you're, you're postulating that it might be because I'm a recovering glutton and I just love to talk about food whenever I can, I plead the fifth. Um, <laughs> no, I do love food. I love when the Bible talks about food. I love the way the Bible talks about food. Uh, so I don't know what other ones we I don't know if we've even hashed out who's talking about what. Um, but I knew that I wanted to talk about this topic because I love this topic. Um, give you guys a lay of the land for what we're doing today in the next couple of, of weeks, or next two, this week and next week. I'm going to give a brief introduction because, remember, Peter was talking about the unpredicated statements, So basically just the Jesus saying, I am, and the weight of those statements, and him comparing himself and, and his claims at deity through just saying those two words. We're going to talk for the next... Seven topics because there are seven statements, but it's going to be at least eight weeks um, about the predicated sayings. Uh, who knows what a predicated saying is? If you know what an unpredicated saying is, it's the opposite of that. So unpredicated means just I am. Predicated meaning I am something. So it's a, the predicate is what comes the verb and after. So um, something like I am a dad. He is my friend. We are very excited. Those back ends of that are predicated. So the difference here is we're going from just Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am, to I am, as in this week, the bread of life. Okay, so we're going to talk about these statements now. Uh, I want to give a brief introduction to the predicated statements themselves and talk about um, the importance of them and talk about... uh, I guess the, uh, what I call in your notes the kindness of them. Uh, because we can kind of misunderstand or take for granted, maybe it's a better word, Jesus comparing himself to things in the real world, if you will. Um, Todd, I changed my illustration, by the way, sorry. Uh, I had an illustration that Todd reminded me of, but I, I'm going to change it. Uh, let me ask you guys have you, how many of y'all live in a house that you bought? Or rent that you did not build yourself? Okay. How many of you live in a house that you have built yourself? Okay. All right. These are very different experiences. When I live in a house that w- I've never built a house, uh, it seems like a lot of work. And part of it is this thing right here. When I walk into a house, the light switches are where the light switches are, right? And sometimes it's weird that the light switch is there. Our house has lots of weird light switches. But when I move into my house, I learn where the light switches are. It's like, oh, this light switch is over here. This is how I turn on these lights. This is how I turn on these lights. When you build a house, you have to decide where the light switches go. You have to decide what makes sense. You plan and place those things where you want them. There's a difference between moving into something that has been built for you and building something for yourself. When it comes to this universe, we are living in a house that we are renting or bought, or however you want to say it. We we did not build this house. God built this house. And as the architect and the designer and the construction worker on this house, God got to choose what to put where. And in building this universe, God got to choose what to include and what not to include. And that raises the question, well, how do you design a universe? Like, how do you, that's a big job. And there's lots of things you can put in it. And there are billions and trillions of things in the universe. But there are an infinite number of things that are not in this universe, right? There is an infinite number of things that don't exist. And God had to choose or got to choose what to put in this universe. And the question is, how do we design a universe? How does God design a universe? And that depends on what the universe is for. So God builds this universe and builds it to put people in it primarily, essentially, for his own glory. God wanted to create a universe with people in it to be reflectors and worshipers of God him. So God built a universe full of things that would assist us in the endeavor he has given us to worship him. Uh, God is infinite. We can't contain him in our finite minds. We don't have the faculties to understand him. But God gives us glimpses and pictures in the world. He places things in the world to help us identify with and connect attributes of him or character traits of him or qualities of him. God was so kind to help us understand him by doing this. And it's easy to look at these things and take them for granted and just think, oh, that's just, oh, that's bread, right? Well, every culture has bread. I don't think it's a coincidence that God chose bread as one of these things. Light. Um, we're going to talk through all of these, but God put these, these real world, uh, not that God in heaven is not the real world, but within our universe, he put these things to help us understand him. Um, and so when we look at these I am statements, sometimes we as teachers will come up with like, clever analogies or comparisons oh it's kind of like this like i did earlier it's kind of like when you build a house versus buy a house right and i look at the things around me in the world and i think what would help me to illustrate this topic and if i'm smart i have a really good one if i'm not as smart i don't have as good a one but i have this idea and i help you guys connect this idea that you know with something that that you don't know but i get i have to find that thing does that make sense So we can look at Jesus' I am statements and think, well, this is Jesus being a really smart teacher, which he was, making some really clever associations, which he could, uh, of things that he noticed in the world, and point them to things about himself. But in reality, God built this universe in a way to give himself these handles, to, to point out... These aren't like just clever sayings. These are the punchlines to a riddle from eternity past, okay? So there's so much more to this. It's not just coincidences. Um, my wife is a photographer, and she uh, she was at her brother's wedding recently, and she wasn't the photographer there, but she brought her stuff, and she took some pictures. And I was looking through some of her pictures, and there was one of, of the couple dancing, in front of this big kind of, is in an old, like former church. And so there's still a big altar over by the wall. And they're both tall people. So they're tall. And then the height of the thing behind them, and it really accentuates. I was like, I was like, that's really neat how that lined up. And I was like, that's not neat how it lined up. She's an artist. And she was like, let me craft this shot. Okay. So these illustrations that Jesus uses aren't, oh, that's so cool how that lined up like that. No, God built a universe to help himself, explain himself to us as finite people. Do we understand how kind and gracious that is? It's really, really cool to me. Um, With that said, we're going to start with the first of these, which is the bread of life. And and this is by far the longest episode. There's a whole setup. um, And we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And I'm going to move through it. And we're going to explain a little bit the setup and the confrontation leading into it. And then we will get to, I am the bread of life, the statement itself. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. And then we're going to talk about more of the implications of that next week. I asked for three weeks, Peter gave me two. Uh, (laughs) And honestly, I think it's the right amount. So uh, to be fair, I thought this was going to take me longer, but I think if this wasn't two weeks, it would be like six weeks. So I think two is right. So please open up your books, your Bibles to John chapter six, if you've got them in front of you or your app or whatever. Like I said, we're going to read a chunk and then I'm going to talk and then we're going to read a chunk again and we're going to talk some more and we're going to read a chunk again and keep going. We're going to start with the feeding of the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with the disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, that's about eight months of wages, by the way, worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are that for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world, who is to come into the world perceiving they were about to take him come and take him by force and make him king Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself so let's recap 5000 men plus women and children probably 15000 20000 people families got big it could have been even bigger than that hungry people on a mountain uh, Jesus is going to feed them he asks Philip where are we going to buy enough bread again part of this this isn't even a financial question There's just not enough, there's not a, like, if we could just have enough money, we'd go to this bread shop and buy enough bread for 20,000 people, 15,000 people. Um, So Philip points at the financial side of things, but just, it's impractical, and he knows that. Andrew says, hey, there's this boy over here, and we don't know how old the boy is. Uh, He's got five loaves, and they're probably pretty small loaves, and two fish. This is probably his personal meal, if we, you know, he wasn't packing for a bunch of people. So Jesus takes this offering from this boy takes the loaves and the fish gives thanks for them and distributes them to the people everybody eats their fill twelve baskets left over and the people realize at that point in time or I think they realize this is the prophet who is to come into the world so clearly a miraculous sign has been done here I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this but here's what I want you to notice that Jesus saw and in the people and met it Okay? And that people realized that it was miraculous. Um, a couple of really basic takeaways for this. First of all, Jesus condescends to meet the physical needs of these people. Okay? Sometimes we can try to be holier than God and think, I, I, sometimes you have, I hear this like, tone of people about like medical missions or feeding the poor. like what those people really need is the gospel. Well, yes but they also need to be alive long enough to hear and respond to the gospel, okay? The people need food. Jesus wasn't like, look, all these people think they're hungry. They just need to hear about me. They're gonna hear about him. But Jesus meets the physical needs of his people. He condescends to his people and cares for them in a way that provides for them, okay? Um, This is, and, and again, this is the God of the universe feeding people, it's like, imagine your favorite president, uh, whoever you want it to be, living or dead, coming, it's like, hey, calling you, you and me, dinner tonight, your place. All right, so he comes over, and then he's like, you sit there, I'm going to go cook. And he goes in your kitchen, and he cooks you food. And, and then he brings it to you, and he serves it to you. That is what we're talking about here. This is the God of the universe who has... Before coming as the incarnate Christ, no needs, but condescending to meet the needs of his, the physical needs of his people. Again, let's not be holier than God and pretend that that caring for the physical needs of people is not a part of God's kingdom mission. Second of all, God used the meager offering of this boy to feed these people. Uh, Now, I don't want to take this so far. There are some like, like, some more liberal theologians would take this and say the real miracle here was the miracle of sharing. Everybody had their own food, but they just shared with everybody. They didn't want to share at first, but then they did. And that's, then everybody would not be like, wow, that guy's a prophet. That wouldn't make sense. Um, Jesus had to make... So bread, is made, bread and fish are made of molecules, right? They're made of, of things, little atoms. Those atoms in the five loaves and two fish were not as many atoms in all the bread and fish that got fed to everybody. You following me? God had to make those atoms in that moment. It would not have been hard for him to make the first five loaves and the two fish, right? God created the universe, what we call ex nihilo, out of nothing. He took nothing, and then there was something. And that is, by the way, just the existence of anything is one of the strongest arguments, if you're talking to anybody about... The existence of God, the fact that there's anything. Um, God made the universe out of nothing. He could have fed these people out of nothing, but he delighted in the participation with this one willing servant who was willing to offer, okay? Don't think that your offerings are not relevant. Don't think they're too small. Don't think you can't, okay? I'm not trying to make this a man-centered teaching here. But, you know, I mentioned we do foster care. I've had a number of people tell me, oh, I could never do that. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. Or whatever the thing is that you're seeing that you think, oh, I could never do that. I could never move to India like, like those other people. Um, yeah, you could. You could do that. Um, God can use the meager offering you have because God's power is not reliant upon your capabilities. God's power is God's relying upon his capabilities, which are infinite. Cool? Okay. So just take those two little nuggets away from me, please. Um, we're going to move on to what I call the confrontation next. So after an interlude in which Jesus walks on water, by the way, Jesus is, is pretty awesome in that. I'm just going to gloss over the fact that he walked on water between the two things that we're talking about here. It's just not worth talking about right now in terms of timing, but it's, you know, worth noting um we're going to fast forward to the next day apparently word has gone out that he has done this there's more folks at this point in time on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone other boats from tiberias came near the place where they'd eaten the bread again this is probably people who heard tell Uh, After the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Basically, hey, what's up? Um, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Which, is the son, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. This conversation, sometimes Jesus is like, has like a slow entry to his teaching, and sometimes he's just like zero chill, like zero to 60 right away. Jesus has no chill at this moment. He's like, you're not here because you saw signs. You're here because you want to stuff your faces again. Right away. First thing. He's like, you guys completely missed the point of that miracle, but hey, free food, right? So you're all here again for the free food. Um, and before we hop on the crowds and judge them too much here, <laughs> one of my rules when I'm reading the Bible is always start by assuming I'm the bad guy or the dumb guy. Okay? Just usually it's true. So... We like to judge the crowds here for missing the point and jumping to the free stuff and being materialistic and and earthly-minded. But how much do I, as a believer who has been saved, fret about the things of this world in a way that loses sight of God's eternal providence and his kindness to me? Uh, If if Y'all remember, if y'all were here last week, Keith preaching about the tabernacle and these treasures that we have, the treasures of God, of being able to commune with God, the treasures of being able to be cleansed from our sins, from having enlightenment in our minds, from being forgiven. But we lose sight of those treasures over the more mundane things. Same thing here. We do the same thing. God has met for us eternal provision, but we can fret about the day-to-day. We can fret about God's provision, whether it's financial provision or health or relational provision or all the things that we can worry about in this world, we can get lost in the day-to-day just like these people do here, okay? So let's not think that we're better than them, okay? Um, But what he says to them is, is you're working for the food that'll only leave you hungry the next day. You should work for food that's going to leave you eternally satisfied. And now they like the sound of this because what's better than free food? Free, infinite food. (laughs) That is... Infinitely better. Um, so they're like, "All right, what's the work we have to do to get this free infinite food?" Um, and Jesus says, "Well, the work that you have to do is to believe in the one that God sent. Believe in me, effectively. Uh, if y'all remember from First John that we covered a while back, this is one of like the works of God that John three twenty three or First John three twenty three says this is the commandment commandment that we believe in the name of the Son Jesus Christ." and love one another just as he's commanded us. So at this moment, if it hasn't already, this is where the conversation really goes off the rails. I don't know if you who were married have ever had a conversation with your spouse where you are talking in like one lane, and they're talking in the other lane, and you're not even fighting, but you're just talking about different things and don't realize that you are, and you become increasingly frustrated with each other because you're like, I don't understand how you're not seeing this, and they're like, I don't understand how you're not seeing this, and we're like, We're not talking about the same angle on the problem at hand, right? Anybody else ever experienced this? This is, um, uh, my wife and I have gotten to the point where sometimes we're like, I don't even know what we're arguing about right now, right? (laughs) So Jesus here, because then they say, what kind of sign will you give us that might cause us to believe in you? And I, I guess Jesus has to be wondering the same thing. He's like, I literally just made magic bread for you. Like you were hungry and I made food out of a little bit of stuff for thousands of people and you want a sign. Okay. Um, he's, um, you know, but what you see here is, remember back when he fed them and they said, oh, this is the prophet who's to come into the world. And we see this trend. Remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say that I am? And they contrast them with prophets. They don't actually mention Moses, but they talk about, Elijah and Jeremiah, they're like one of the, you're you're one of the, they think you're one of the prophets. He's like, all right. In this case, they're clearly thinking Moses, right? And it it makes sense. Free food, like bread magically appearing, miraculously appearing from heaven. Um, If you're a a good Jew and you've studied your your Torah, you know, oh, this is like the Moses thing, free bread, cool. Um, And so Jesus points out, he's like, first of all, we'll get into the fact that the bread is not what you should, I mean, the the prophet is not what you should be comparing me to. But he's like, well, you know, he says, all these, those people went out and collected that food every day. They collected food every day. They collected food every day. Um, But look at this eventually. Eventually, that stopped. And even more dramatically, those people died. So, as they're talking in lanes, these lanes across each other, these people are trying to say, all right, how can you show us that you're an even better prophet, an even greater prophet than Moses is or was? Um, And Jesus is thinking, I'm not the prophet. We'll get here. I'm the bread, right? I'm not, you're, you're trying to compare me to a man. I'm trying to compare me to I am comparing me to sustenance itself, okay? Um, by the way, if this conversation sounds familiar to you, it's a very similar trajectory to his conversation with the woman at the well. Do y'all remember this conversation? Really similar conversation. Shows up, there's this conversation about sustenance, um, and then they're both like, he's both like, well, I can, I can give you provision that will last forever. And both, whether the woman at the well or the crowds, they're like, well, I want this always, and before he gets to the punchline with the woman at the well, Jesus says, we, we get a detour, right? It's stop and go get your husband. And then that turns into him completely, you know, reading her world and showing her her life. And it goes in that direction. But if there were going to be an eighth I am statement, it probably would have been right there. And it would have been something along the lines of I am the living water, Um seven being the number of completion, we have seven. Um, But he never gets to the punchline there, but it's the same idea of, I'm offering to be the provision. I am the eternal provision you're looking for. Here, though, he actually gets to the punchline. If we keep reading, at this moment, this is when Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. By the way, you all remember the story about manna? What did the Jews do then? Grumble, right? This grumbling is the same, grumbling. We all grumble. Uh, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God. He has seen the father. There's so much here that we're not even going to touch guys. This is like, like, I said, this is a really long thing to teach on, but I just, I want to keep the passage going here. Um, and in light of that, I just lost my spot. There we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He said it again. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So again, the crowds are thinking, let's compare and contrast this guy. Let's rank him up against Moses. Is this really the the next great prophet? How does he compare to Moses? And Jesus is saying, he's not like, I can give you bread forever. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am your bread forever. I am your provision forever. I'm not going to just provide for you. I'm going to be your provision. And this bold statement has a couple of really big implications that I want to get to here. Um, The first is Christ as the sustainer of life. So remember we talked about God building the universe and building things into it, right? So God could have created a world with no food. Okay, agreed? He can do whatever he wants. The existence of food... Carries with it the existence of dependence. Dependence didn't exist within God. God is not dependent on anything. He needs nothing. He is pre existent. If, if he were dependent upon anything, he couldn't exist. Make sense? So, the fact that we are dependent on food is a created concept that God built into the universe from eternity past, always independent, never needing anything, to help us see. Our dependence upon him. Again, God is independent. Acts 17, when Paul is, is teaching um, a bunch of polytheists, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, not your individual little territory gods, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. And then one of my favorite verses, Psalm fifty twelve. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. (laughs) For the world and all that it is in it is mine. God doesn't need anything, and he doesn't need anything from us. Uh, This is a real big contrast, by the way. Uh, We recently, uh, my wife and I, and our middle son, our oldest son, our middle kid, Atticus, went on a cruise, and we went to visit some Mayan ruins. And we learned that these, you ever hear about like human sacrifices they would do? And, And the reason why they would do these human sacrifices is they'd be watching the stars and the planets, And they would think that, okay, that planet that's moving, this is a god. But their gods had needs and were dependent just like they were. And so these dependent gods, when it was coming to the end, they would be like, all right, it's going to disappear now. So we need to do a sacrifice to keep it alive. We need to feed it people, okay? So you realize the difference here between these gods that would depend on sacrifices— Dependent on sacrifices who exist, even though they don't exist. But these gods that would depend on the sacrifices and the provisions of their people. And a God who is independent and sacrifices himself to provide for people. Do you see the difference there? The, the beauty of the gospel in that God is an independent being, being who meets our needs at his own expense. Um. God didn't need, again, to make a world where we were dependent, but he wants us to know that we are dependent on him for life and breath and everything, okay? Life in this world is a dot, so when we can look at this physical provision, this eternal provision is the line that goes out, God sustaining us eternally, okay? Okay? And look, Moses is, you know, we, Jesus points out Moses fed the people and eventually they died. Even Christ's miraculous works. These people ate this miraculous bread. Where were they the next day? They're in line for bread, okay? Um, y'all know Lazarus? Do y'all know what happened to him? He died, like for good, Okay. The, that, the lame man that Jesus healed, I bet you by about 70, 80 years old, whatever, he stopped walking at some point in time, okay? Jesus is doing these provisions, these miraculous gifts in the temporal world, but pointing to eternal provision. Do y'all see that? Okay. He absolutely cares about your provision in this world. Don't hear me say that he doesn't. I already talked about that. But God provides for us eternally in a way that far surpasses that okay and we can't let trouble with provision in this world rob us of faith in his eternal provision for us of life forevermore okay the second thing i want to talk about here is christ as the giver of life he's not just the source of it this sounds similar but it's a little different here jesus says For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Um, By the way, again, this is, you know, Peter talked a lot about the, the claims of deity in the unpredicated I am sayings. This is a big claim here. Christ is claiming to have come down into the world from heaven. Okay, this is another claim at deity here. Which, by the way, makes it even more awe-inspiring that he would come into the world to provide for us. Again, this is that president, your favorite president. Imagine your favorite president, greatest president ever. Since we know we're talking about food, I'm voting for William Howard Taft, but you can pick your own favorite president. Um, Yes, it's a presidential fat joke. Um, But imagine the the condescension and kindness of the the most powerful person in the world coming to make you dinner. Dinner a delicious, like elevated comfort food, like stick to your ribs, beef stew, but the best you've ever had. This provision provided by this one who has no business doing so except for kindness. Okay, that is Christ coming here as the giver of life. And he says, you're gonna have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the crowd balks at this, right? They don't like this. um, Really, (laughs) almost no society ever, has been nuts about cannibalism, okay? Um, There's a reason why after this, Jesus' disciples are like, hey, this is a really hard teaching. (laughs) Who can hear it? The people don't like this. They are caught up on the fact, I have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. This man is out of his mind, okay? But what they're missing is that Jesus is offering to spend his flesh and his blood to provide a life eternal for them. Like they're missing this. They are so caught up on what it's going to cost them to attain provision from God eternally in a way that's not comfortable to them that they are missing the sacrifice of the one who's willing to pay to accomplish it for them. And again, this is like, this is our age to a T and probably some of us sometimes. We live in an age where people want to find fault with God And demand to have him on their terms. And it is so easy to lose sight of a God who condescended to come to earth. And live in a broken, mortal body. And die to achieve our salvation. Like, what business have we to demand that he do it a different way? He loved us enough to come and die for us. Beggars can't be choosers, guys. And these crowds and and many around us today want to demand God on their terms. But we don't get to do that, okay? We are not in a position to negotiate here. And even doing so and wanting to do so is an insult to a God who's willing to sacrifice himself to save his people, okay? Look, and this is the big reason why why Jesus is not contrasting himself with Moses, but with the bread. Put yourself back there. Manna comes down. What does Moses do every day? He gets up, goes out of his tent, collects his manna, goes back into his tent, and he's sustained for another day. He consumes like everybody else. He's a consumer, of God's provision. And that's right for him to do. That's the role God had for him. So this is not a knock on Moses. But the manna was being consumed, okay? Moses was not being consumed. Jesus is consumed by us. He gives himself for our benefit. He offers himself for our redemption, okay? So, two thoughts as we walk from here on that. First of all, the gospel is always more about Christ's provision for us than it is about our, or I put it this way. The gospel is always primarily and first and foremost about God's provision for us and less about our response and what we need to do. Is that understood? At the same time, Let's be more like Jesus, okay? Because we are called to be formed into his image. Let us be less consumers and let us be willing to be consumed, okay? Let us spend our lives for the benefit of others, for the furtherance of the gospel. Let us love others at a cost to ourselves. Let us do hard, costly things to care for the people in the church and the world around us. That's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is, is we are in the middle of a series on worship downstairs, okay? As Keith talked about uh, last week, there's these jewels that we get to look at. Because I can tell you all day, you should be worshiping more. You should be worshiping better. You should be worshiping harder. But if I don't understand the God that I'm worshiping and his kindness and his goodness and his glory and his majesty and his justice and his wrath and everything in him, If I don't understand him, I can't worship him. (laughs) I don't know what I'm worshiping. I can try to gin up some feelings in myself, but worship is a response. So I hope that you've had plenty of reasons in your life this week that you can go down and be just grateful and worshipful to God. But maybe you've had a crummy week and maybe you've had a hard time seeing God. And if we can do one thing today and we can look at God's costly sacrifice of himself for our own redemption, I hope that can compel us to deeper, more uh, heartfelt, genuine, real worship this morning. So let's go down, let's say hi to our friends, and let's be prepared to worship a God who spent everything for us, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you that you are kind to us and that you gave everything for us, Lord. that we don't deserve. God, you are so glorious. That kindness is so glorious. Lord, your majesty only makes it more glorious that you are infinite and you can find yourself to a finite world, Lord, to save us. God, thank you for that. Help us to worship. Lord, stir in our hearts affections in response to you, Lord, out of just your kindness and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.